want to welcome you to the table this morning. Over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to spend some time around the table with Jesus. And what we're going to do is reflect on some occasions where Jesus sat around the table with people. And what we're going to find out is it's not unlike today where you and I spend intimate moments, meaningful moments, and a lot of those happen while we're gathered around a table sharing a meal together. Go ahead and turn, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, to Luke chapter 7 and hold that there. What I want to challenge you to do is pull up a chair to the table. And during these worship services and messages coming up in the next few weeks, ask yourself this question. Who am I most like in this story? Who am I most like in this story? Listen to Luke chapter 7. It's going to be read. And many times in the past, we haven't done it in a long, long time. God's word is powerful. It has stories in it, messages in it that we should honor and we should respect. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as God's word is read. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown But whoever has forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now as we find ourselves at this table, we have to understand 
behind every story is more than just the story. And to really understand what was just read, you have to understand the social etiquette, the table manners of that time in the time of Jesus when this took place. So I'm going to do a little first century etiquette training this morning. But before we do that, I want to give you a quiz. It's a pop quiz. That makes it funner for me, all right, uh, to hear your answers. We're going to do a little social etiquette quiz based on Emily Post's social etiquette rules. Here we go. Here's question number one. When should one start eating the main course at a formal dinner? And I decided to give you multiple choice to make it a little bit easier. All right? When should one start eating the main course of, at a formal dinner? A, after the hostess is seated. B, after the hostess lifts her fork. C, after three or four people are served. Or D, as soon as humanly possible. All right? Go ahead, discuss it among yourselves. Relax a little bit. Figure out what your answer is. A, after the host is seated. B, after the host lifts her fork. C, after three or four people are served. Or D, as soon as humanly possible. All right? How many think, how many B's we got in here? Oh, a bunch of B's. Any A's? One A, two A's. Well, the answer actually is C, C. But because you guys are from Northeast Ohio and you are social etiquette masters, we'll say it's B, even though the real answer is C, all right? Because a lot of you said it was B. Question number two, what do you do when the person across from you at the table has food stuck between his teeth, all right, the two front teeth? What do you do, A, you intentionally stare at the food to make him aware, or you just hope, you know, that they figure it out because you're staring at it? B, do you pick between your own two teeth, hoping they'll mimic your gesture? C, do you ask him if he's saving some for later? Or D, do you just casually let him know? Do you care? Well, the actually, it's a trick question. The real answer isn't in there. You kind of just let him go throughout the day and see if he ever figures it out, right? That's my answer. One more. Socioetiquette, more than just a socioetiquette question. Here's a question for socioetiquette within the worship service. What's the correct response if someone's cell phone goes off in church? <laughs> a, you look annoyingly at the person in front of you and shake your head in frustration. <laughs> B, you make it a, a ringtone, a worship song ahead of time. C, you, and this is the correct answer, you send the preacher a generous gift card to Texas Roadhouse. And that goes even if it's on vibrate. All right? Love those. So we have rules. We have table rules, table manners, adequate things. The same was true in Luke chapter 7. In the first century, in the Middle Eastern culture, 
certain etiquette behaviors were present that people were expected to keep. And we see that here in Luke, that it's a complete breach of social etiquette on the behalf of Simon the Pharisee. And these are not accidental oversights on his part. His mama raised him right. He knew the rules. He knew the etiquettes. He knew what was expected of him. But in this story, he purposely ignores them all and ignores Jesus. Here's the scene. Jesus comes over to Simon's house. He's been invited there as a guest. But when Simon goes to greet him, there is no kiss. There is no welcome. There is no customary greeting as would have been in that day. The customary greeting would have been a kiss on the cheek. If it would have been someone of noble ranking, it would have been a kiss on the hand. But there was no kiss. That would be like you and I inviting someone over to our home. And we don't shake their hand. We don't pat them on the back. We don't give them a hug. We just kind of let them walk in and ignore they're there. That's what was happening. In those days, customary and actually mandatory was that someone came into your house, their feet would be washed either by you or by a slave. And the least of the matter is you would offer them a basin of water and a towel for them to wash their own feet. Jesus came in, Simon did nothing. Didn't offer him a basin of water and a towel didn't offer him anything for his dirty feet. Doesn't wash his feet, doesn't have a servant do it, doesn't even offer for Jesus to do it himself. Also in the first century, there would have been a customary anointing. They would have taken some inexpensive olive oil and anointed the head of the guest. Jesus comes in, no anointing with oil either. And this isn't by accident. No kiss on the cheek, no water for his feet, no oil for his head. Simon purposely, intentionally ignores Jesus. And he's making a statement. So it makes us ask the question, why? Why did Simon even bother to give Jesus an invitation? If this is how he was going to treat Jesus, why did he invite him over to his house in the first place? Well, most likely Jesus had been teaching earlier in the day. And Simon, the one of high rank, a local Pharisee, religious leader of the time, would have been there. It would have been his duty, his religious duty to invite the speaker, the teacher, Jesus, to his house. His heart wasn't in it. He just did it because it was part of his job. That's what was happening here. And I think perhaps if we were sitting at the table with Jesus, our own selves, one question we would ask ourselves, is that me? Am I here out of religious duty or out of genuine desire? Am I sitting with Jesus? Am I being associated with Jesus? Because this is kind of the religion I was born into. This is the expectation 
of other people, but it's not my heart's desire. We ask ourselves, even as we come to worship, am I here because of my family's expectation, my parents' pressure, my girlfriend's ultimatum? Why am I here? Because if it's not from the heart, then that's what we call religion. Religion. Religion is out of duty. And Jesus has no interest in religion. Jesus wants relationship with us. And as a church, we have no, no intention or goal to make you more religious, to make ourselves more religious, but to build our relationship from the heart with Jesus. Simon's heart just wasn't in it. Now, when that happens to you and I, there are warning signals that can go off inside of us. And we see those kind of here with Simon. A warning signal to his heart was the woman arrives on the scene and he almost seems to despise her for being there. And though many of you maybe have never done that, I have to admit, you know, I have. Maybe I haven't despised people, but I've been irritated by people before, annoyed by people that God has called me to love. I'm not perfect. You know, some people just, right? And then, you know, God, I'm glad you love them. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's happened in the lobby before. Uh, not so much here at Northside Medina, but more so when we're in the larger body. And I'm out in the lobby, and someone will come up to me and say, hey, you remember my name? We met a few weeks ago. You remember my name? And I'm thinking, man, I, I really can't place it. I'm trying. You know, it's kind of like they expect you to be the guy at Cedar Point or the fair that, you know, want me to guess your age and weight too. You know what I mean? That kind of guy. And I feel so out of place. And I get so aggravated. I say, is it Bob? No, not Bob. I, say, I, I give up. I give up. And when I get like that, I have to remind myself that I'm looking at what I do more as a job than something that I need to do from the depths of my heart. We find ourselves in Simon's chair, associated with Jesus, eating with Jesus, but maybe we just feel like it's a have to. It's our job and our heart's not really in it. Don't miss the irony of the moment either. Because Simon is someone who went to rabbinical school. That basically means that by the time he was age 12, he would have had the first 12 books of the Bible memorized. Memorized. By the time he was 15, he would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. He would have had in his mind more than 300 prophecies of the Messiah readily available. But he doesn't even realize the Messiah is in the room. Wow. The entire New Testament memorized, Old Testament memorized, 300 prophecies memorized, 
all learning about who the Messiah is, when he's coming, what he's about, and he doesn't even realize the Messiah is sitting at the table or lying at the table with him. So it brings up another question for us. Do I know about Jesus or do I really know Jesus? Simon knew all about the Messiah, knew everything about him, but he didn't realize he was right there. He doesn't even know it's him. I think for many of t- many times we can confuse knowledge with intimacy if we're not careful. We could have went to Sunday school classes all of our life, been in a small group forever, read all the books, sing all the songs, but that doesn't necessarily mean we are intimately in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And think about the other side of this irony. Because on the scene comes this woman. She didn't have the Old Testament memorized. She would have had a hard time giving you two or three prophecies about the Messiah. But yet she enters in the room and she knows Jesus is there. When she comes into the room, it's awkward. It's awkward. It was one of those moments where you could feel the tension in the air. She wasn't invited to the party. She just showed up. And in verse 37, we can see a little bit of the tension in the room when it says she's referred to as a sinner. And that language there, she isn't just someone who committed a sin and showed up. She is someone who sinned for a living. She was a prostitute. And she entered the room, and you could have cut the tension with a knife. And I guess if you're sitting at the table and you're watching this scene unfold, You're seeing the response of everyone in the room. You got to think her thoughts. It's not too late for me. It's not too late for me. I don't think you can spend much time at the table with Jesus in a relationship with Jesus and not come to the same conclusion. In fact, it's all the way through the Bible. Zacchaeus would have said, it's not too late for me. The woman at the well, she went there to get a drink of water, hoping no one else would know her, no one else would see her, but she finds herself drinking water with Jesus himself, and she walks away from drinking water with Jesus, telling everybody, it's not too late for me. It's not too late. And I know for some of us, when we're at the table, it can sometimes feel like Simon's house. For some people, when they come to worship, it can sometimes feel like Simon's house. Like this woman, you feel like your sin is all everyone else can see. And when you look in the mirror, all you see is your sin. You don't see the person who's been forgiven of committing adultery. You always see an adulterer or an adulteress. Because that's what people have named you, right? That's what you'll always be. Or if you've gone through a divorce and people have just made that your new name, 
right? That's your identity, it seems, forever. You always be known as the person who went through a divorce. Or maybe you've struggled with an addiction in the past. And again and again, people point to that. You've become your addiction. Because of that, you will always be known as the one who had an addiction. So it's hard for you to feel welcome at a table next to Jesus. Get this, listen real close, real close. We are all sinners around this table. We are all sinners. There's no one in this room who is more deserving of, of an invitation at the table with Jesus, no one more than anyone else. You're not only wanted here, you're welcome here. And you need to know that you matter to God and you matter to us more than anything else in this world. Anybody ever entered into a gated community? You know, we have the gate down, there's a little Barney Fife guy sitting out there, you know, pretending he's the ultimate cop, checking your credentials, and there's no way you're going to get past him unless you have the right credentials. This community called the church, there's nothing like that. There's no guard, there's no credentials. Everyone is welcome in this place. I love to say, and you'll hear me say it a few times over the next few weeks, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Say it with me. The ground at the foot of the cross. It's not too late for me. Say that. It's not too late for me. So this woman comes in, an awkward scene, a lot of tension. And what I want to do is I want you to feel that. I want you to experience that as much as we can with not being around that table in person. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this. In the best of your ability, put yourself there in that scene. Close your eyes and listen. The woman comes in uninvited. Jesus is reclining at the table. The woman approaches and she stands at the unwashed feet of Jesus. And almost instantly, it grows silent. You turn and look at this woman along with everyone else and instantly you know who she is. People glare at her, expressing their disapproval of her. But for you, you put your eyes down, more embarrassed by her presence, really embarrassed by the awkwardness of the moment for her. Out of the corner of your eye, you see Jesus, a smile. He's delighted that she's come. His smile is warm. She is so undone by this that tears start to come. And you look up and you just watch as they begin to run down her face and then drop off her chin. 
She falls to the ground and she begins to kiss his feet. Soon the tears are pouring down off her face and they begin to drop on his dirty feet. She looks at the muddy streaks and perhaps she realizes his feet haven't been washed. <clears throat> she can't ask for a towel, so she lets down her hair. And in those days, a woman wore her hair up in public. For a woman to wear her hair down in front of a man that was not her husband was considered to be such an intimate expression that it literally was grounds for a divorce. So she lets her hair down and you can hear a gasp from around the table. She washes the feet of Jesus with her tears and dries them with her hair. Luke said she had an alabaster jar of ointment. Most likely it refers to the perfume often worn around the neck of a woman. And you might guess because of her profession Perfume was quite important. She likely used it one drop at a time for many men, but now she empties it out. She pours the whole thing out, every last drop. She pours the jar onto the feet of Jesus and kisses them over and over and over again. You can open your eyes. Was that reckless? You bet it was reckless. Was it inappropriate? Yeah, you bet it was inappropriate. Did Jesus love it? Oh, oh wow, how he loved it because Jesus loves it when you and I are genuine, when we pour our entire heart into our relationship with him. And so one final question for us, when was the last time you extravagantly expressed your love for Jesus? When was the last time, maybe not so much an alabaster jar, but your alabaster heart was poured out to Jesus? Every last drop of it poured out to him. Think about these words. So here it is. My alabaster heart, I'm keeping nothing back from who you are. No hidden treasure veiled by lock or key. You are a lifetime worth of worship. And that's only just the start. Here it is, my ever waking day, the minutes, hours, the years of endless praise. For you are far worthy of all I could say. I'm gonna lay it all down. 
I'm gonna bring it all now. All my love, you can have it all. All my heart and all my soul, all I own, you can have it all. You are worthy of it all. Every last drop, everything I have, yes, you are worthy of it all.
everything that we have at your feet. God, may, be, may that be the way that we approach you in every moment of our lives. In the tough times and the good times, may we run to you and may we fall at your feet. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for you being in this room with us as you send us out into this world. God, we love you praise you and it's in your holy sons Jesus Christ it's in his name we do pray amen church we love you if you need to talk to someone please talk to someone today that's what we're here for otherwise go out there be that light in that world and we'll see you next Sunday have a good week